Chapter One of Bon Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bon Marie: A Tale of Normandy and Paris by Henry Greville, translated by Mary Neal Sherwood. Chapter One: A Fish Supper. Those were happy days," sighed the old smuggler as he swallowed his cider and set his glass noisily down upon the table. And we had many a narrow escape. One would suppose you were sorry they were over," said the coast guard with a laugh. He knew very well if Beslin were once started on the narration of his former exploits that he would not quickly stop, and that he himself might hope for an invitation to supper in order to hear the conclusion of the tale. But to tell the truth, it was not so much the supper which the coast guard found so tempting as the hope of catching a glimpse of that rare apparition, Mademoiselle Bonne Marie, who made her appearance at meals. "'Of course I'm sorry,' said the hardened sinner, with an angry thump on the table. "'That was living. Everything was crowded into those days. The dangers of the sea, the danger of firearms always ready to send a ball through us, the danger of breaking one's neck among the rocks with fifty kilograms of smuggled tobacco on one's back. There was some excitement in such things.' And now here I am, stranded like an old boat, unfit for service, and spending my time looking out of the window to see what sort of weather it is. Do you know what you ought to do, Father Beslin? insinuated the coast guard, retreating a little from his dangerous proximity to the old man as he spoke. You ought to enter our service, and you would be the most useful man among us. What the devil do you mean? exclaimed the old smuggler, brandishing his fist under the nose of his companion, who hastily drew back still further. If you were not the good fellow I know you to be, you should pay dearly for this very poor joke. Do you think I would assist you in catching the fellows who are new to the business in which for forty years I was the cleverest of all my companions? Do you think I would do such a thing? No, you don't. But I will tell you a few things you don't know, clever as you think yourself. I could tell you of places where, this very day, tons of tobacco are hidden. You pass by it, but your nostrils are not keen enough to track it. Here this is smuggled tobacco, and Beslin pushed an earthen jarful toward him. I never smoke any other, as you know very well, and yet you have the audacity to ask me to betray the good fellows who bring it to me? The coast guard drew his pipe from his pocket and began to fill it, without seeming to care the least that the tobacco he was using had defrauded the revenue. I was only jesting, Father Beslin, he said, and you know where the stores are hidden, do you? Tell me a little about it. That you can do and not harm anyone, you know tell you no not much said the old norman with a sagacious air but i will tell you a story instead he continued with a knowing wink one day we had landed at the neige de jabon with a full load of laces and english tobacco like that you are smoking only better as the night had been stormy you coastguards as you call yourselves but spies as we call you had allowed us to run in our cargo without interference and the tobacco lay high and dry among the rocks sheltered from wind and wave but in the morning the weather was glorious, and all the people poured out of their houses, just as the slugs come out when it rains, only it is just the contrary, you understand. The next day was Sunday, and I went down with the cart to the shore, but it was necessary to pass a revenue station which no longer exists. Then the old smuggler stopped and laughed heartily. "'What amuses you?' asked his companion, who wished to avail himself of all the information possessed by the old man. I laugh when I think that one of your captains persuaded the government that his station was unnecessary and had better be removed inland. And why? Because he had a house at Heraquil, which belonged to his wife, and he wanted to let it as lodgings for his men, and now the fellows walk comfortably about it all day long with their hands in their pockets and nothing to do. Oh, your captain was a clever fellow. 
we have drank many a bottle to his good health, and on the day when he had his housewarming at the new station, the coast guard bit his lips, while Beslin roared with laughter. Well, to go back to my story, continued the smuggler, when he had laughed enough, I hid my cart among the rocks, and then I went on a little to see what was going on. I found that they had put a bench in front of the station, and all the men were warming themselves in the sun like so many lizards. I was rather puzzled as to what I should do next, when I saw a woman coming down the road with a rosary in her hand. I went to meet the woman. It was just at that time quite the fashion to go on a pilgrimage to the Bain Haro Thomas at Byville, a spring which cures all sorts of diseases. It may not now, but it did at that time, and it seems to me I have heard that devotees have fallen off considerably lately. At that time, too, girls went there in search of husbands. They did not say so, but all the same, that was why they performed the pilgrimage and went off to the Bain Haro Thomas, fasting. I saw at once that this good woman was on her way to Byville, for she was newly dressed, and, as I told you, held a rosary in her hands. But I did not think that she was after a husband, for she was nearly sixty years old. "'You are performing a pilgrimage, madame,' I said to her as I got near her. "'Yes, sir,' she answered politely. "'Is it far to Byville?' "'Indeed it is,' said the good woman with a sigh, as she looked down at her shoes already white with dust. "'If you choose,' I said, "'I can give you a lift, for I have a stout cart over there. There are some faggots in it, to be sure, but they can be arranged so that they won't trouble you, I think. I'm going to La Grande Vallée behind Vauville.' "'Ah,' said my new friend, "'it was certainly Bien Hero Thomas who sent you my way. I will say a prayer or two for you.' "'Very well,' I said. "'Come along with me and get into my cart.' In five minutes more we were seated side by side, the woman telling her beads and I driving my little mare. Up to this time the men at the station had not caught a glimpse of us, but I was sure the very moment they recognized me they would search the cart, and then all would be lost, of course. As we came to the turn of the road I said to my companion, I see my brother in the meadow up there, and I want to tell him not to wait dinner for me, but you can drive on and I will overtake you by making a short cut, which will bring me further down the road. Keep straight on, and don't be afraid, the mare is as mild as a suckling dove. So then I jumped out, and the woman drove the mare quietly alone. When the coast guard saw this venerable-looking female with a rosary on her arm, passed them without showing the smallest haste or anxiety, they, of course, did not trouble themselves about her. She went on until she got to Valville, where I joined her, and jumping into the cart, I whipped up my beast and we flew like the wind. "'My dear good man,' she cried, "'please don't drive so fast. Your faggots are killing me.' There was no use in her complaining. I did not draw on my mare, nor did I even answer her. When we reached the brook in La Grande Vallée, I drew up hastily and helped her out politely. "'I'm very much obliged to you,' she said, "'although your faggots were pretty sharp.' "'The faggots were not the only things in the wagon that are sharp,' I answered. And I spoke the truth, for I had been sharp enough to make by that trip about five hundred francs.' "'That was a very bright idea, Father Beslin,' replied the Coast Guard, after a brief period devoted to a determination that he himself would never allow a cart loaded with brushwood to pass him unsearched. "'And what did you do with all that money?' "'Ask Bonne Marie. Her education has cost me the very eyes out of my head, and now she's a real young lady. She has been educated in the very best school at Cherbourg, and has her diploma. Yes, Mademoiselle Beslin is a lady, I am happy to say.' and the old smuggler rubbed his hands with an air of intense satisfaction. "'The fact is, Dr. Beslin,' said the Coast Guard, as he twisted his moustache, "'the fact is, Mademoiselle Bonne-Marie is a young person who is endowed with every possible perfection. She will be the ornament of her sex, and more especially of her husband. 
if she should be inclined to marry a coast guard officer i think i may say that i am sure of my promotion and it is not to me that you must say these things interrupted beslin with a cunning air i am not a young lady you know monsieur chamlot do you mean then cried chamlot joyously that you will make no objection and give your consent i give no consent whatever sir it is for my daughter to decide she is quite capable of managing all her affairs and i have sworn that i would not interfere with cross or even advise her go to the young lady herself chamelot was not encouraged enough to be enthusiastic and he took refuge in his pipe and smuggled tobacco the two men sat for some time in silence smoking in front of each other the room was large but low and lighted by one window as is the usual in houses of the peasantry in the hague the thick walls were of white plaster and held innumerable cupboards with oak doors the deep window had a long bench which continued around the room and a heavy table nearly filled the remaining space it was on this bench that the coast guard sat while father beslin occupied a very old armchair whose straw bottom was replaced by a board and a feather pillow very much flattened by long usage the window looked out upon the sea and on the little harbor of almondville the sun was sinking behind the hills the tops of which still glowed with its rays the small fort stood out against the blue sky not far away and in the distance across the deep blue sea the sharply indented coast was seen the coast that is so picturesque all the way to cherbourg you are very comfortable here said chamelot looking out at the closed window yes we are comfortable answered his host but we have no luxuries about us this bench and this table with that bed in the alcove with its red calico curtains are about all we have beslin was not far wrong a low chair in the sheltered corner by the fire was Bonne Marie's usual seat when she was preparing the meals. A few cooking utensils hanging on the nails by the side of the chimney attracted the eye by their cleanly glitter. The soup was simmering, suspended from a crane over the wood fire. All was simple, but as the Coast Guard had said, all was comfortable in this peasant home. Luxuries do not make happiness, replied Chamelot philosophically. That is quite true, and you ought to know, for you are not rich either, answered the smuggler with quiet malice. "'Who told you so?' Chamelot answered with some irritation. "'Who told me so? Why, no one, of course. It does not need anyone to tell me that you would spend your life at the Coast Guard stations if you could help it.' "'It is a very respectable service, nevertheless,' replied Chamelot. "'I dare say, and so is a fire company,' murmured Beslin, without taking the pipe from his mouth. Chamelot was trying to find some withering reply to this remark, when the door opened. A ray of the level sunlight poured in, and with it came a visitor.' This was a man of about thirty, dressed in a cloth jacket and full of breeches. He pulled off his felt hat and then put it on again. He did not enter the room, but stood on the threshold with a basket in his hand and a heavy net on his shoulder, and apparently waited for an invitation. "'Ah, is that you, Bellevon?' said the old man, shading his eyes with his hand from the sunshine. "'Yes, it is. I—I I came to see if you would kindly accept a few fish.' "'Ask Bonne Marie, my boy.' I have no doubt she will, and give you a hearty thank you, besides. Hello, Bonne Marie, come here. At this shout, a clear, sweet voice from above answered, Yes, in one moment, and steps on the wooden stairs presently announced the approach of the young girl. Come in, said Beslin to the newcomer. I will wait a moment, if you please, was the reply. Bonne Marie now appeared. She was a blonde with the softest blue eyes imaginable, but just at this moment they were bright with mischief. A mass of fair hair was confined by a white cap, and delicately penciled brows and long, sweeping lashes added to the perfection of her charming face. Had she been ugly, the sweetness of her expression would have made you forget the fact, but she was very pretty, 
and the young people of Almondville knew this very well. "'Here is Belvoir, who has brought you some fish,' said Father Beslin to his daughter, while she was addressing his guests. "'Will you accept them, Mademoiselle Bonne-Marie?' said the fisherman with some hesitation. "'I picked out a few fine fish with the hope.' He pulled away the seaweed which covered his basket, and the sun fell on a dozen magnificent fish with white pearly bellies and glittering prismatic backs. "'You are crazy, Jean-Baptiste,' said Bonne-Marie in her musical voice, without one vestige of the nasal twang common to that part of the country. "'What on earth can we do with all those?' "'Eat them, I trust, mademoiselle, for if you will not have them, I shall toss them back into the sea. In fact, I said just those very words to myself when I caught them.' "'Very well, then, Jean-Baptiste, do not throw them back into the sea, but stay here and help us eat them. Here is a friend from the Coast Guard Station who will do the same,' said the smuggler with a laugh. Belvoir darted at Chamlot a glance which was by no means very amiable, but Bonne-Marie had hold of the basket and was drawing it towards her, and him with it. He yielded to the movement, and the door closed behind her. He was in the room at last. He threw down his net in the corner and said in a low voice to his host, "'Thank you for that good turn, Father Beslin.' The fire soon flamed high in the chimney. The soup was strained and covered and set among the ashes to keep hot. The classic tripod replaced it, and the supper was well started." While Bonne-Marie went and came, moving rapidly but noiselessly, and laying the table, Jean-Baptiste prepared the fish in the wavering firelight. The girl turned hastily, and stood on tiptoe to reach some utensil that hung high up, and that moment he snatched the corner of her apron and kissed it. The supplicating eyes he fixed on her were more eloquent than words. No one noticed these two, or could hear either of them speak, for the old smuggler was still teasing the coast guard and going off at intervals into explosions of laughter. The girl drew away her apron and said firmly, but by no means angrily, No, Jean-Baptiste, no. I have only the same answer to make today that I have made before. And why not? murmured the fisherman, trying to soften the girl's obdurate heart with a loving, submissive smile. Because I do not love you enough to be your wife. What can I do to make you love me? asked Jean-Baptiste, trembling all over with eagerness. How can a man make you love him? I can love no man who is not my superior answered Bonne-Marie with unconscious cruelty. "'It is true,' murmured the poor fellow bitterly. "'I am only a poor fisherman, and you are a young lady.' "'Oh, it is not that,' replied Bonne-Marie eagerly. "'You have misunderstood me. "'And why is it then?' "'I will tell you another time. "'I like you too much to expose you to ridicule,' she added gaily. "'And they are looking at us.' She flew to the other end of the room, and Jean-Baptiste returned sadly to his fish. "'Her superior,' he said to himself, "'her superior,' and yet how happy any one would be in loving her as she desires. Perhaps she will find this superior in this coast guard, while I. He cast a furious look at the man of whom he was so frightfully jealous. But this jealousy was by no means the work of the young girl who had done all in her power to discourage Chamelot, who, however, was so strongly entrenched in his armor of self-conceit that he was not easily turned aside from his object. Absolute and intolerable rudeness can alone open the eyes of such people. The party was soon gathered around the supper-table, and thanks to Father Beslin's caustic wit, of which Chamelot was the victim, the merriment was incessant. Chamelot was by no means dull or foolish, and his repartees were often as amusing as Beslin's attacks. The old man was not restrained, however, by any fear of wounding the pride or feelings of his guests, and his remarks were excessively rude sometimes. Belvoir was sincerely delighted at each and every attack upon his rival. Besides, he himself was in luck that night and carried off the honors of war, as the supper was of his providing, and Bonne-Marie sat close at his side, so close that her dress and even her arm touched him from time to time. 
The pleasure of seeing her so pretty and so fresh soothed for the moment the pain caused by her rejection. After supper there was coffee, and this coffee was good and strong, and had a dash of liquor in it. After placing a bottle of brandy on the table, Bonne Marie retired softly, without saying good night to anyone, and the two men proceeded to indulge in strong libations. Chambelot was the first to feel his legs unmanageable. Bellevoine had drunk less. Not that he was more sober as a general rule than the men about him, in a country where man is more praised than blamed for drinking deeply, but his eyes were on his rival, and he hoped to catch him committing some egregious folly, at which he could have a chance to laugh. Chamelot, after a while, began to talk loud and fast, and Beslin was not behindhand, but after a long chapter of reminiscences, they both grew weary, and the company separated. As he accompanied his guest to the door, Beslin, whose head was steady in spite of some intemperances of his tongue, put a hand on the shoulders of each. "'All this is very well, my boys,' he said, "'but I tell you honestly, if once I see my way clear to do a little business in smuggling, I shall try it again. I shall try it again.' "'And I will help you, Beslin. I give my word on that score now,' answered Bellevoine, with a glance of defiance at the Coast Guard. "'You will help me? All right. Why shouldn't you? Your father did many a time.' "'And I—' "'I should be very sorry, of course,' said Chamelot, with a profound bow, "'if I were obliged to shoot you down with my gun. But the law before all else, you know.' "'To be sure. The law before all. That is it, my boy. And now to bed with you both, for I think each of you sees double.' End of chapter 1. Recording by Susanna Mason.